With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, good evening and welcome to this month's 1865 podcast. So obviously you'll hopefully have been listening to our match reports over the last few weeks in what has been a little bit of an up and down month for Forest in terms of results and occasionally performances. But we want to welcome you to this podcast and welcome to Reds fans all over the world. And it was nice to see some Ukrainian flags at the city ground this weekend. In today's show, we'll be talking about the Bournemouth postponement and the fallout from that. We'll be discussing some of those results and performances and what that means for Forest's prospects in the rest of the season. We'll be hearing from Jeremy Davis with the 1865 sketch and we'll have a giveaway from our friends at the Terrace and there will be much, much more besides. Let's start by saying hello to this month's panel. So good evening to you, Tom Newton. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. And hello to Stephen Topless and producer Romeo in the background. Hello, good evening. And making his debut on our monthly show, we'd like to say hello to Adam, the cycling defender. Welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. And it's nice to have you here. Now, as I said, let's start off by talking about the Bournemouth postponement. Um, this was a source of much controversy and it got people talking up and down the country because of the nature of the postponement. Now, there's quite a lot to unpick here, but let's just recap what the basic story was, which was it was a Friday evening match, which got uh, postponed at four o'clock, less than four hours before kickoff, when many Forest fans had already arrived on the south coast and many others were already on their way and Forrest have put in a I don't know if complaint is too strong a word but they certainly asked the EFL to pay attention to this uh, the Forrest argument cites that it was very convenient for Bournemouth and they wanted the game to be played on the Saturday now Tom I'm going to come to you first of all on this one um, just firstly your thoughts on the postponement itself I think the time was, was shocking because Bournemouth's not just around the corner. And football fans, if they've got an opportunity to go 
to a game. We all knew about the weather reports weren't going to be good, but if the opportunity is still going to a game, the football fans are always going to do the best to make it. And apparently, um, according to reports, they had an opportunity to call it up at 10 o'clock and at 12 o'clock on the day of the game. And they decided not to. And if you look at the um, pictures from social media, a lot of fans were already down there. And to basically say it's called off at four o'clock, I just think the communication and um, the behaviour of um, Bournemouth, I think it was shocking and had no regard to the playing football fan who made the journey to go down there. Then Forest tried to um, have the game the following day, and they wouldn't even um, were they were, they were not interested in doing that. And I just thought it was just shocking. And as a football club, I'm not saying we're perfect, but I think we would have had a bit of um, common sense and communicated with um, with the away supporters if it was a towel place uh, a lot more earlier in the day than what Bournemouth uh, did. And it was just shocking, to be honest. Okay, Adam, just like Tom, you go to quite a few away matches as well. Um, I think Tom's point about it being the fan, you know, we we lived through a year and a half of lockdown and not being able to go to matches and people were saying the game is nothing without fans. But this was a, a great example of the fans being put last, wasn't it? And and Tom talked there about communication. Bournemouth, the EFL, Forest, all were fairly silent on the day uh, uh, presumably under the rationale that there was nothing to report at that moment. Should there have been better communication from all parties on the day? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, I don't think any of us are here sitting, saying about, you know, safety and stuff. We're not safety inspectors, are we? We we don't know what condition the ground was in. Um, It doesn't always have to be visible um, to the naked eye. There might be something on top of the stand or something like that. So I think that there's, the game being called off definitely wasn't the issue to most fans. I think the issue was just, you know, people are down there. People pay for hotels. It's you know, it's not just it's not just the four hours before kickoff it being called off. It's the fact that people had paid for hotels and you know people had drove and got train and you know it's it's not it's it's expensive to get down there isn't it? and I, and I think that you know it it was poor. It was really really poor by um, both sets of clubs for me and the EFL for the communication. I'm sure Forest hands were tied slightly in the sense that it's not their game. Uh, it's not their home match. They don't really probably have an awful lot of say. Um, but I, I think it, it is a difficult one. It's not an easy situation to deal with. But I think when you've got, um, when you hear stuff like the night before, there was speculation, there was rumour. And the condition that it was in the, with Storm Eunice and that sort of thing, it was never likely to be played on the Friday. So on that Thursday night, I think you probably could have made a decision then. But you know, it's it's just one of those things. I'm sure the FL will look into it. Okay, Stephen, uh, on that topic, then um, it strikes me as though the big issue here isn't necessarily whether the ground was safe or not, because as as Adam said, unless you're a safety inspector who happened to be at the ground and being able to inspect on the day, then how would we know? The game was called off at the behest of the local safety advisory group. So it's not just the club. It's not just the football authorities. It's the council and so on as well. The big problem here is actually that with a red weather warning, the EFL have no provision to call off a match on the basis of a weather forecast. That is a problem. And it comes back to Tom's point. If there's a chance of a game going ahead, fans will travel. We know that. That is just how football fans are. So... 
I think as as the EFL, you've almost got to take the decision out of everybody's hands and say if there's a red weather warning in an area where a game is scheduled to be played, just cancel the game or postpone it for however long, 24 hours or until both teams can agree on a new date and and just be clear with it because you've had, first of all, the Forest team have gone down there in good time. They were down there on the Thursday ready and willing to play the game. Forest fans have travelled down in the midst of a storm and put themselves at risk. Now, you can argue individual choice on that or not, but that's a fact. And this could have all been avoided with simple and clear communication much earlier on. And the EFL, yes, they probably should create some kind of clause now where if, if a game is scheduled to take place with red weather warnings around, that game is cancelled, postponed, moved around, whatever necessary to to take away the risk and still ensure that the game can be played because we saw up and down the country on the Saturday, more or less every every fixture went ahead. I think there were a few that were called off either due to storm damage or uh, or poor weather still still hanging around. But most of the games on the Saturday were played and of course, were it not for Sky's intervention with this match, moving it to the Friday evening, this game would have been on the Saturday and probably wouldn't have been a problem at all and it might well have been able to go ahead. Mm, okay. I mean, let's just point out that uh, according to the safety advice group, one of the problems wasn't just that there was damage to the ground, but also that they couldn't send an engineer up there in safety to actually inspect it. So there's every chance that the match wouldn't have been able to be played on the Saturday anyway. That's the official argument. So with that in mind, coming back to you, Tom, is it reasonable for Forrest to make a complaint saying it was convenient for Bournemouth to cancel? Uh, yeah, I, I would have put a complaint in because of because I thought, oh, and what's actually um, happened with the just as like we've mentioned, but the sheer lack of communication and total disregard to everybody related to uh, Forest, because like says, well, like um, Stephen says, the team were down there, the fans were down there, and because they wouldn't like, like says, they wouldn't. Um, uh, they didn't have any interest in doing, uh, playing it on a Saturday for whatever reason. So yeah, I think Forest were like ready to fulfil the picture, and they uh, Bournemouth wasn't for whatever reason. So um, so yeah, I think they've got every right to uh, to complain of how much uh, messing about and uh, given to everybody related with um, with the game in terms of the Forest perspective. Yeah, and Adam, just to come back to you on this one before we move on, um, I'm just thinking about the fact that. What Stephen said, that if the game is likely to go ahead, then fans will travel. And yeah, you could argue personal choice. But I know that if I've spent north of 100 quid on uh, a match ticket plus a tank of petrol or a train ticket, and then you've got to factor in food, people who've booked accommodation. So in some cases, people have spent 200 quid for a match that they couldn't go to. Um, And with that in mind, I'm also going to talk about our neighbours over the river because they've had this ridiculous situation with Dover and going down to Dover and the match being called off, uh, you know, late on. But this is very different, isn't it? Because in that one, Dover basically changed their minds. In this one, Forest were just waiting and waiting and waiting. And and surely it was out of Bournemouth's hands as a club, whether it could be played on the Friday and or the Saturday. Yeah, I mean... 
it, it was out of Bournemouth's hands, but I think like we come back to the communication point, it needs to be communicated better to both clubs and the fans, you know, as, as soon as possible because, you know, it's a long way down there and obviously we've got, I mean, I, I saw the announcement that Forrest said that they, they'll put on coaches for people to go to the return fixture. Well, the return fixture is now a Tuesday before you play Hull on the Saturday. It's, it, that's an expensive week for a lot of Forest fans. And I, I just, it's, it's frustrating for me because it just, it, it seems as if there's, there's not been a lot, a lot of consideration for the fans here. Um, in the Notts County scenario with Dover as well, there was no consideration for the fans whatsoever. You know, you're talking two very, very long away trips. And if Bournemouth had any inkling that the game wasn't going to go, I, I know they've said, and I know there's a lot of publications come out and said, oh, we wanted the game to be on. We were desperate for it to be on. But, Take that out of it for a second, and just can't just postpone it on the Thursday. I, 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 there was every bit of concern for the Thursday. They had the red weather warning anyway. Just postpone it on the Thursday, save some people's money at the very least, and just postpone it for another time. People would be disappointed, but at least you can't say the club didn't give you enough warning. I think that's all that people ask for. And if the EFL can step in and maybe put something into place saying game has to be called off 24 hours before where possible then I suppose we can sort of go with that really So and on top of that the financial implications of the football fund I mean fans in this country just get crapped on by television companies stupid times um, the train um, services in this country aren't great in regards to a football fan and then you've got to on top of that You've got to have half days off from work and this, that and the other. And the people who, the, um, who run football in this country, the EFL, the FA, etc., this is how we really miss the fans and everything. And as soon as the fans come into football grounds after the COVID, and it's like, oh, we want your money and everything, but they don't think about what the football fan has to do to follow their side in terms of money, travel, this, that and the other. And like Adam says, it's on a Tuesday night now. And it's like people. Then a lot of people would have made plans. Um, final home game, sorry, final away game of the season against Hull. And it's like you've got to try and find that money. And you've got obviously uh, financial costs in terms of the household bills are going up. And it's just, uh, yeah, I just think we'll just get hoarded around in this country in terms of how we're treated and everything. And we're we're really like bottom of the pile when it comes to class the citizens in this country following a football club that's my personal opinion of it yeah so hopefully with these cancellations um i think i can't remember which match it was i think there's one on the saturday which was cancelled 45 minutes before kickoff as well and i'm just thinking that surely this has to bring about some kind of regulation change whereby i mean a red weather warning is a threat to life isn't it and therefore it's not reasonable to, su- to suggest that fans and in fact the players and and the and the and the teams and all of their staff should travel in those circumstances because it is do not travel basically so so we'll see what comes out of that and and thank you everyone for your thoughts on that but let's move on because we've got a lot to talk about and we've got a lot of results to talk about so since we did our last monthly show which was all the way is about five weeks ago now and the matches have been coming thick and fast and on the whole things have been good so we had the victory um against derby which we had a podcast um, special match report for we had a three nil against barnsley which was 
a bit of an odd one because they say there's no such thing as an easy match in the championship, but actually Barnsley at that time probably were, and we didn't play very well, but we still got a handsome victory. Um, we obviously had the cup victory against Leicester. We had the win away at Blackburn. And more recently, we drew two all um, with Stoke. We had the nil-nil at Preston and we had the two-nil victory just this weekend against Bristol City. Now, I missed out the Cardiff match there because I want to talk about the Cardiff match and the Preston match. And Stephen, let's talk about those matches because... Those were signs that the consistency of both performance and results that Forrest had had since Steve Cooper has took over, that consistency has just faltered slightly, hasn't it? Yeah, those two games, I think, were examples where the performance dropped off and as a result, the the scoreline didn't favour Forrest in the end. Cardiff... Well, we we talked about the goal on the match report. The first goal, which gifted them the lead with Cook and McKenna getting caught out at the back, not really dealing with the threat properly. And real goal down to a Cardiff side who had just brought in a, a raft of new players and they all probably had a point to prove. And they made life difficult for us on the night in Cardiff. And it showed. We struggled to to find a way through. And even though we scored late on, it was late on and there wasn't really enough time to to turn the game around. Preston obviously was a better result and a very decent point in the circumstances. But again, that was an example there where the performance levels had dropped and we we struggled against a team who sat in against us and and played deeper and we, we couldn't find another way through and another way of creating opportunities. And it was only in the final few minutes when we we got going and became more of a threat. But again, by that point, it was too late. So examples there where teams have made life difficult for us and we've we've struggled to combat that and, and find a different way of winning or different way of getting a, a positive result. Yeah, so uh, Tom, I'm just going to come to you because I think there's a little bit of a feeling, possibly for the first time since Cooper has took over after the Preston match. It's just a little bit of pessimism that seemed to be uh, just a mood of pessimism on fans on social media. And I know social media isn't the most reliable place to get opinions, but I haven't seen that for quite a while. Um, did you did you pick up on that? And, and what did you feel? Did you, did, you, did you worry that maybe maybe that lack of consistency is becoming a problem? Um, slightly. The, during the second half of the Preston game, a lot of fans were crying out for a substitution. Why is it Steve Cooper making a substitution? And it, it didn't happen. And for whatever reason, I, I just think, you know, sometimes you watch a match and I think, or oh, who, whoever you change, bring off or uh, whatever, it's not going to really improve anything on the night. It's just one of those games where just stay in the game and just try and get out uh, with a point which we did. And then a lot of people were like pessimistic, thinking, oh, we're not going to get in the playoffs now. The gap's uh, too big and this, that and the other. Then come Saturday, what we've just had, Middlesbrough lost. And it's closed that gap again. And we've still got, what, 13 games to go. So it's not over by any stretch. Um, but my, it'd be nice to get into the playoffs. And if there's a chance there, you go for it. But if we, if we don't, I won't be too um, aggrieved because of the start. What we've had was bottom when Steve Cooper took over, and it's just been uh, really easy on the eye 
watching the game since he's come in. So I think it's just a matter of building something now in which we haven't built anything for years. We've got a manager who's got the fans on side and everybody seems to be singing from the same hymn sheet. So if we don't get into the playoffs this season, we've got something to build on rather than last season where, well, the season before was in the top six for the majority of the season, dropped out, Hewton come in and it was just a matter of keeping the heads above water last season. And then this season, it's just a matter of, well, we've got Hewton out and Cooper's just got a smile on everybody's faces. So, um, yeah, but don't get in the playoffs. It's just one of those that, I don't want to stir the pot, stir the pot too much, but obviously Derby have got their twenty-one point deduction, and and that's a whole other story. But effectively, Forest had a twenty-point deduction because the first seven matches we lost six of them, so uh, and, and and drew the other. So um, it 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 wasn't a great start. So for Forest, as you say, Tom, to be even in the running for the playoffs is is outstanding when you consider it, and and I think people have sat up and took notice. Um, Adam, why do you think that consistency is lost? Do you reckon that's down to a bit of fatigue? Do you reckon it's down to um, disruption in the squad with injuries like Graben being the obvious one and so on? Or is it that occasionally it's just something that happens over the course of a long season? Um, I just think it's the championship. (laughs) In an honest answer. Like, I think, you know, we, you know, we can't go and win every game. You know, we can't play pretty football every game. But I think that a good team can pick up points when they don't play well. I think, you know, like, for example, the Stoke game, I, I firstly think Stoke were probably just about the better side and we managed to get some out of that game, um, albeit in, you know, last-minute circumstances. Obviously, the Preston game um, was just a very flat performance. Um, and I think that Preston had a few big chances to win the game. But... The, the difference Lewis Graham makes potentially is that when Jed Spence gets into the box, hits the byline, puts that ball across, Lewis Graham is on the end of that because that's the sort of player he is. And I think that that's the difference on a, on that day that we get three points, you know. But I wouldn't be too worried. Um, I think we are going to drop points. We are going to you know draw games. You know we're going to lose games. But since Steve Coop came in, I mean, we I, I, I saw something the other day that would be second in the league based on just his results. So. You know, it's, and, and I will probably get called very over-optimistic for this, but the league is so open. You're looking at that top 10 even, and it's so open at this point in time. And I'm not going to rule out us pushing for the top two. It sounds ridiculous, but there's no consistency for any of the teams up there. All the teams up there are dropping points, different teams. That's the nature of the championship. But I feel like this season, like Middlesbrough getting beat, 3-2 by Barnsley at the weekend. You're not expecting that. So I think it's just keep calm, pick up points where you can. If you're not playing well, just get a point. If you can win games, go and win games and just see where we can get in the next 12, 13 games, really. Yeah, and I think that there's um, something to be said for the fact that all you need to do if you're a team at any position in the championship is get two results in a row, good or bad, and you'll find yourself in an entirely different position. And actually, as well as the playoff positions, we can look at how West Brom, I think, I think they're currently bottom uh, in the bottom half of the table, um, which is astonishing after losing a few matches and, and not getting results. You look at Derby, who were on course to have the great escape, and now they're on course to finish bottom again because Reading got two results in a row and Barnsley have now got two or three results in a row. And 
going back to that idea that any team can beat any team, well, Barnsley versus Middlesbrough, no one saw that coming, I don't think. I, mean, I don't think even Barnsley would have seen that coming. So let's just come back to uh, come back to the topic. Stephen, one of the things that ha- we have noticed is in the matches where Forest have been stifled, it's been down to, and, and Baz and I discussed this in, in the match report from the... Uh, uh, from the Bristol City match, it's been down to teams pressing high against us and also, in a lot of cases, doubling up on, on Johnson and Spence on our right-hand side. And Cardiff in particular, um, Middlesbrough did it as well on Boxing Day and Preston did it uh, just last week. So does that mean that actually we've been found out a little bit? After, when when you've had a run like we have, teams will start to notice you and... I think it, there have been a few instances where teams have found a way of stifling our threat, particularly down the right-hand side. You've got Johnson and Spence, two explosive players who, in tandem, can be unstoppable. And I think Bristol City, they they didn't double up quite as much. They didn't target that side. And the pair of them were just rampant throughout the game. So... We kind of have to expect teams to try and attempt to stop them, but that's where the rest of the team has to step up, and the 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 threat needs to come from other areas. So, looking at the left hand side, Max Lowe, who actually I think is quite decent going forward, it opens up an opportunity for him to be more involved. And we saw the a goal against Stoke that he set up for Brennan Johnson after the ball comes to him from Sam Surridge. He puts a fantastic ball in. Johnson runs onto it and it's a lovely goal. And we need a bit more of that from Max Lowe. I probably would like to see as well, Philip Zinconagel involved a bit more offering threat from the left-hand side. If we do find ourselves struggling, particularly with Johnson and Spence, if they're being marked out of a game and it we probably would like to see a bit more coming from the left-hand side in that regard. And, but with Steve Cooper, I, I, I kind of back him to be reactive in these situations. I think he's shown already in, in his short time in charge that he can change a game. He can understand what's going on on the pitch and how to change it. One of the big criticisms of his predecessor was that he couldn't really change a game. He would only stick to one plan and, bring on like-for-like substitutions, whereas I, I think Cooper has been more proactive and and a bit more switched on when it comes to, to, to making subs and finding ways to change the game, tweaking the tactics slightly to to shift focus to a different area of the team and, and change things up. So I think with Cooper in charge, we've, we've every chance of still carrying on and, and getting results we need, even if we're not quite on it 100% in games. Yeah, and of course, we're recording this on the day that Marcelo Bielsa has left Leeds, who is, in my mind, one of the greatest coaches of all time in any country, never mind in this country. And he's fallen foul of the fact that he is too rigid in his way of playing and he's not really able to to come up with a, an alternative style or an alternative tactic. So that's something. And, and on that topic, Tom, Brennan Johnson and Jed Spence have been the players getting the headlines but are they marked men now? We've seen teams trying to double up on Spence. And you know what? He was good enough yesterday after the early booking for the uh, for the Bristol City left back to, to just absolutely torment them. But then the other thing 
there's this whole idea again that Brennan Johnson's a bit of a mark man with referees and and players trying to goad him into into what they think is a dive. Now, let's just be clear that the booking yesterday wasn't actually for diving; it's for descent. But then Dean Ashton on the uh, on the Quest show was saying mm, he shouldn't be doing that. So uh, yeah, what do you think, Tom? Are, are, are Johnson and Spence marked men? Um, they are, but I think it all comes down to who they're playing against because Preston under Ryan Lowe. Um, there'll be quite a disciplined side. So then when we saw against Bristol yesterday, um, they were not, but they got away from the man and they, uh, the other left-back uh, for um, Bristol got uh, booked. So if you like pin them back and put them on the back foot, then you can get some success, I think, even though if you are not, because if you get past them and they hack you down, well, the only can do that probably no more than two times again, and they, they could get a red card, you see. So um, I think they, they are marked, but I think it just goes to um, what, if they keep persevering and, and everything, I think they will get um, a break like other areas of the field. But um, uh, going with the, the penalty, I mean, the one on Tuesday against Preston, I mean, if the referee doesn't think that's a penalty, book Davis. But he, he, but he didn't, so... So but Brennan didn't get booked in the uh, no, but, match for a dive either. So, no, but so, I mean, yeah. in previous games, he has been booked, hasn't he? And mm-hmm. he, yeah, so it's, that's, it comes back to uh, the age-old um, subject of consistency with uh, officials in this league. I will just also add that uh, having watched just the highlights from the Quest show, that the uh, the referee in the um, in the Bournemouth Stoke match. We complain about inconsistency, but that was one of the most one-sided refereeing displays I've ever seen. And when that actually comes across that way on an on a neutrally edited football show, then I think that that tells a real story, doesn't it? Um, Adam, just very very briefly, if we if we can, um, one of the things that we talked about there is even if we don't make the playoffs, this season has been a success. Does it worry you that? And we may come back to this a little bit later on if we have time. But does it worry you that if we don't make the playoffs, we stand to lose four or five of the current first team? Yeah, of course. And I think that, you know, it, it's bound to happen. Do you know what I mean? And like, obviously, Brennan, I think if we don't if we don't get in the playoffs and, you know, obviously don't go up this season, I think Brennan will probably leave. Um, obviously, we're not going to keep Jed Spence. I think irregard. I mean, if we go up, maybe, but it's still a maybe because I still think that he's going to have Premier League interest from higher up the Premier League table to where we'd probably be. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of players that are going to be leaving if we don't get in the playoffs and we don't go up. But I'm not worried about it in a way because I trust the recruitment model. I trust the players that are going to be brought in. You know, players like Keenan Davis and Max Lowe, I think you'd have a good chance of signing them on a permanent deal. And obviously the money that they're talking about obviously would bring in, you know, we'd be able to bring in three or four very good players for that. Okay, we'll come back to that a little bit later. Thank you very much, Adam. But now it's time to go over to Jeremy Davis. You're listening to 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. 
because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. The 1865 Sketch by Jeremy Davis. Acceptable shithousery is a concept that has emerged in football in the past decade. It's a bedfellow of sledging in cricket, trolling in podcasting, or the rather more genteel gamesmanship, as they refer to it, in the tennis at Wimbledon, where you won't hear the term shithouse, except possibly in relation to Novak Djokovic. At Forest, the term goes back much further, because, of course, shithouse was one of Brian Clough's favourite terms of endearment, applied to players including Kenny Burns, before being affectionately bestowed upon penalty-saving maestro Mark Crossley. These days, the term has entered the lexicon of football to such an extent that The Guardian publishes lengthy articles pontificating on it, and it seems to be the case that it's anything just the right side of the laws of the game so that you don't get booked for it. And most respectable pundits seem to think that it's brilliant. This just goes to show how fast things change in football, because as recently as 2018, said newspaper was describing players feigning injury or going down clutching their faces after someone had brushed against their shoulders as shithousery. And we all know how us Brits feel about simulation. The poster boy for shithousery, acceptable or otherwise, of course, is Jamie Vardy. So it's appropriate that my favourite bit of acceptable shithousery this season came in the second half for a sensational win against his Leicester team in the FA Cup fourth round. It isn't hard to name the standout moments from that match. Four goals, for one thing, but then there was Keenan Davis's volley in the first half. Martin Keown making himself look stupid by banging on about how Leicester were getting on top until it got to 3-0. But my personal favourite came midway through the second half when the scoreline was at 3-1 and James Madison ran through on goal and shot wide. Why? Well, if you looked at the advertising hoardings behind the goal as he shot, you could clearly see the message, hashtag aim for goal. Now, I accept that it is overwhelmingly likely that this was mere coincidence, but at the same time, it felt like a glorious piece of shithousery. A bit like that thing when the crowd goes before a dodgy keeper takes a goal kick. As an image, it's wonderful. Misleading, maybe, but one of those you would just love to be true. It belongs up there with the famous shot of Maradona against the Belgians in the 1982 World Cup, when it looks like he's dribbling at six of them, whereas in fact the ball has just broken from a free kick and the wall is breaking up. In a way, I suppose, it could be said to reflect how easy it is to manipulate the truth in these days of fake news, a handy metaphor for both the current geopolitical situation and for the state of UK politics in recent times, where, even in this high-definition 4D surround sound era, a single still image, whether of a bacon sandwich or a PM in a Santa hat with a glass of bubbly, can make or break a career. Let's just hope this particular image doesn't have the same impact on James Madison, even if another thing he has in common with the Prime Minister is being caught carousing when he shouldn't have been, more than once over the past couple of years. Jamie Vardy, the poster boy for acceptable shithousery, may have had a party or two, but his talented midfield teammate is the one who had party gate. Thanks once again, Jeremy. It's lovely to hear your voice. Now, to our regular listeners, you may have noticed something a little bit different in the way that our podcast is presented these days. We have always brought you this podcast for absolutely nothing. We've never charged you a penny for it. 
But because we do this podcast for free, uh, what we've decided to do is we have joined a podcasting network called the Sports Social Podcast Network. And this does mean that you will hear occasional adverts on our podcast. If you want to find out more about your advert choices, there is a link in our show notes to find out a little bit more. Now, we hope you understand why we're doing this and uh, we hope it doesn't in- disrupt your enjoyment of the podcast. Uh, while we're talking about supporting a podcast, we just want to have a quick word about FanHub. Now, FanHub have introduced some really positive rewards now. So as well as the chance to win surprise football shirts, uh, bobble hats in your club's colours. And also they've got beer vouchers now for checking in at a match and then sharing your check in on Twitter. And just to look at our current fan hub leaderboard, well, Forest are 17th in the overall club leaderboard. Uh, Bournemouth are at the top of the leaderboard. Uh, presumably it's easier for them to check in on match days when their matches actually go ahead. And then above uh, above us in the championship, the only other team who's above Forest is is Coventry City, and the rest are mainly League One and League Two clubs. On the fans leaderboard for Forest, that's uh, where we have uh, in third position Dan Russell O seven. In second position, we've got J B Radders, and in top position, we've got Joel Russell O seven. So well done to you guys. Um, you're obviously looking at your news feeds. You might even be listening to this podcast through the Fan Hub app, and you're obviously checking in on match days. So good for you. And then finally on this topic, um, you may have noticed as well over the season that we have a deal with our friends at. Terrace. And the Terrace have just tweeted this evening that uh, Carl and Craig from their team, they're running 100 kilometres each this month in order to raise money for Mind. So go and check out on our Twitter feed or on their Twitter feed, The Terrace Life, to find out a bit more if you want to support them. But they're also supporting us and we'll tell you how in just a minute. We as fans have all enjoyed Forest using Just Can't Get Enough to celebrate our FA Cup and league victories. It's a song that's actually over 40 years old and it was famously the last one to be written by Vince Clark before he left Depeche Mode and went off to form first Yazoo and later Erasure. Now, because the terrorists have kindly supported us, we've got some forest mugs. Uh, so mugs in forest colours. We've got a range of these to give away over the next few months. We've got the uh, Dayglow yellow and orange away kit. We've got the blue Labatt's kit. We've got um, other kits from the 90s. We've got the red home shirt. And we're giving away three mugs this month. And in order to put yourself in the chance of winning one of these mugs, we've got a question for you to do with Depeche Mode. So according to the UK official charts company, what was the highest chart position that this song managed on its initial release? So it was released in, I think, October 1981. What was the highest chart position that Just Can't Get Enough reached in the official UK charts? Now, email answer to forestramble at gmail.com by 6pm on Friday the 4th of March. And we will announce the winner over the weekend after the Sheffield United game. So once again, that question to win a forest branded mug, courtesy of the Terrace. According to the UK official charts company, what was the highest chart position that just can't get enough managed on its initial release? So email forestramble at gmail.com by 6pm on Friday, the 4th of March.
Okay, so that's uh, our competition for this for this month, and I want to talk about kits. Stephen, what's your favourite kit that Forest have got this season out of the three? The goalkeepers' jerseys as well, I guess. The goalkeepers' ones are very nice, um, but it is the the fluorescent orange and yellow for me. The kit, it's unique to begin with, but also it's become a bit of a good luck charm for us this season. We've won so many games on the road wearing it, and it, it, we're wearing it to a point where where we would wear our red home kit on the road, we're choosing to wear this one instead. So clearly the players, the management see it as a good look charm and it, it's it got the potential, this one, to go down as an iconic Forest kit in the future, particularly if this season turns out to be a memorable one in terms of promotion or we go deeper into the FA Cup. I think this kit has the potential to be a cult classic in years to come. Steady on, Marjorie. What about you, Tom? Which is your favourite kit this season? Um, I do like the fluorescent one because it's a bit, a bit different. But um, no, the, the home one this season, I just think it's just nice, neat, traditional um, home shirt for you. So, which I've got upstairs. So, uh, yeah, I do like the home shirt. So, even though Stevens mentioned about the fluorescent one, I'll go for the, the home one and the traditionalist. Well, like you, Tom, I think um, what what the listeners can't see, but you can, is I've got the uh, the current home shirt hanging hanging up just behind me at the moment. Um, Stephen, if I remember rightly, I think you your your the shirt that you purchased this time around is the um, the navy and pink away, isn't it? I've got the navy and pink away, and I did also manage to get a fluorescent one. So uh, I, I think I was swayed by the the positive results in it, but I actually think the the blue and the pink on that on that away kit is very nice. It's a nice colour combination, and again, something a bit unique and a bit different this season. I think there's a case for all three. Actually, they're all. I like the um, the home kit, harking back to sort of eighty nine, ninety shipstones kits and the Umbro design of that time, which is nice as well. Mm, okay well i mean certainly uh the navy and pink hasn't been worn as much as we might have expected adam what's your choice of kit for this season oh it's, it's definitely the luminous one 100 percent. there's no there's no doubt for me i like i like a bit of an out there kit um i always think we've gone quite safe with kits like recently and i think it's nice to get like a luminous one um it's like a marmite kit you know it's similar to the mid-90s one that's just been re-released the yellow one with the forest thing on on it um which is one of the mugs we've got from the terrace by the way listener that's a great segue uh, <laughs> <laughs> no yeah definitely the luminous one uh, they're, they're all nice though i think macron have smashed it with our kits to be fair i think i don't think any of us can complain about macron over the years okay don't tom you want to jump in there yeah the, the goalie tops i'm not i wouldn't buy one but um i think you can only buy two in the club shop i think it's the blue one the silver one, but in recent uh, weeks, I don't know if anybody's noticed that Bruce Sam was wearing a bit of a, it's like a white one, and you mm-hmm. cannot, you can't buy that in the club shop. This is not available in the shops. No. Okay, I just want to. I mean, Stephen, you pointed out that the yellow and orange is is unique, and and Adam, you say you like it, and um, oh, Siri's getting very excited by this. Sorry about that. So, um, yeah, Adam, you're pointing out that um, you you really like it. And I wonder if there's a bit of a generational thing there, because uh, as the youngster on this podcast, you like it. And as as the old person on this podcast, I don't. So, um, but 
Having said that, Stephen, you made a very good point, which is uh, it has become a bit of a good luck charm. Now, I'm just going to throw something out here. And Tom, I'm going to come to you because I'd like your opinion on this. The Luminous Kit lost its unbeaten run. We hadn't lost a match until we wore it at Cardiff. And then we had a poor performance at Preston. And both of those matches were matches where there wasn't any kit clash. We could have worn red, white, red, and we didn't need to change the kit. So is that a sign that basically if you're fanny about, you get what you deserve? Yeah, I'm not really superstitious when it comes to uh, kits, really. I just think you just wear what you need to wear on the day kind of thing. And I think there's a lot more than just... Uh, the look of the kit, so I think it's just coincidence. That oh, I've you're no it. fun, Stephen. To get, <laughs> come on my side here. I'm all for the fluorescent kit, but yeah, don't mess around. If you could, if you can wear your home kit away, just do it. No points. And, and on that topic, on that topic though, away at Birmingham and away at QPR, when there was a shorts clash, we still wore red, white, red, and then since then we've always worn the yellow one if there's any kind of clash because we don't. Football league rules change this season, so teams are only allowed three sets of shorts. So wearing all red, like we have done in previous seasons, hasn't been an option. We we had a shorts clash at Birmingham QPR. In other matches, we've worn the yellow to overcome that. And against Cardiff and Preston, we didn't need to, and we did. So uh, discuss. I'm always I just when it comes to kits, I do like keeping it simple. Just if you don't need to change, then don't bother. In, uh, and in previous years, I think we've, um, for like, for example, the the luminous kits would only be worn against a team like Crystal Palace or somebody like that, where they've got a red and a blue in their in their shirts, because we've had quite a few blue or navy away kits down the years, and then that would be where a third yellow kit or something would come into play. Um, I'm just wondering, actually, when, if and when we'll ever see the uh, the blue kit again, because the the yellow one has become the, the the away kit of choice. And I suppose really it's not going to offer too much of a clash with with any kits that we could potentially come up against. Also, just a little point on that, it was worn at Huddersfield away. Mm-hmm. Would we have needed it at Huddersfield, potentially? I don't know, but it definitely kick-started. Shorts the, clash. Shorts clash again. Uh, yeah. yeah, but, but we it could did have worn the Navy because... It- Huddersfield's stripes are light blue and white. So we could have worn the navy and pink there, just like we did at Swansea. Tom, you're wanting to come in on this one. Yeah. Um, can you remember when we played at Sheffield United in the FA Cup in 2015? And that was an absolute mishmash of a kit. I'd rather forget the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. It's just, I've just got it up on my phone. And it's the war, the, the predominantly white and blue Adidas shirt with Fawaz on the front, with red shorts and red socks because they added the red even though the white and blue wouldn't have clashed anymore if they'd worn the blue shorts and well Sheffield United on the day were wearing obviously the normal home shirts black shorts and white socks and I'm just looking at it now I don't know if you can see but it's absolute well the listener can't see but no but they can certainly google image and if you don't remember it, yes, it was horrific and therefore we deserve to lose. Yeah. Adam, are you suspicious when it comes to kit etiquette? Um, not really, but I think it's one of my biggest disappointments of this season that we lost the unbeaten run in the luminous kit. Um it was I think that was the most saddening part of that um the Cardiff game, to be honest, that we lost <laughs> the unbeaten run. I mean, but no, look, I think there's still magic in that luminous kit and I think we'll wear it on Friday and hopefully get a result in it. 
yeah, we lost the unbeaten run in a match where we didn't need to wear the kit. So that's the frustrating bit for me. Anyway, we said we'd come back to talking about um, the team and the squad and everything. So uh, just just briefly, um, Tom, you wanted to you were, you were dying to say something, and we had to go to Jeremy. So uh, what was it you were hoping to say? Um, it's just in recent seasons when we've um, sold certain players, we've never replaced them adequately. Um, with Dame Murphy and the recruitment guy from Stuttgart, I can't remember his name, if anybody can help us out on that one. Um, Sirianos. That's him, yeah. I just think they've got like a um, bit of a plan now. Uh, so if we do lose um, Spence, hopefully they've got somebody else lined up. If Brennan Johnson does leave, I was just listening to David Johnson on the Garibaldi Red podcast, I've just got a suspicion that he might not go this uh, summer, it won't be his decision to leave the club this summer. It might be the club thing we need money for you or whatever. But um, yeah, I haven't got a problem with Forest selling players. It's just in the past they haven't placed them adequately. And it's just one of those things in football when you're in the championship and the club we are, we, we do have to chop and change in terms of personnel. But if we get players with a, a decent standard and build on it, then uh, I won't be upset about it. So, Stephen, on that topic, uh, that idea about um, the manager bringing in his own players, I mean, we saw Rodrigo Ely leave, and we've talked about that already in the Transfer Window podcast, which is still available in your feed, listener. Um, But we've also got players who, like Rich Larrier, um, we've got Jonathan Panzo. Actually, I'm even going to include Lower Conveso in that. Players who have been brought in, and we've barely seen a sniff of them. So... Do you reckon there's still some disconnect there, or am I just being overly pessimistic? The in the case of Mbeso, Panzo, players of that, um, you know, players who've come in and haven't been able to really get into the team, I actually think that at the moment is a product of we're playing well and getting results. So there's no need to change a winning formula. The back three. Any, I think anybody would struggle to break into that back three. It's as good as anything in the league. McKenna, Worrell and Cook are all performing well. And as a unit, they all work really well together. So it's unfortunate for Panzo if he's fit and ready to play, that he can't get in. You've also got Toby on the bench who has got plenty of championship experience and he can't get in. I think it's it's a nice problem to have because it shows that actually we're playing well and players are are earning the shirts and they're keeping it when they're performing well. So we need to end that discussion there. And let's go over to another game of Guess That Red. 1865, Guess That Red. Okay, to regular listeners, you will be familiar with our game Guess That Red. So this month's Quizmaster is actually going to be Adam, the cycling defender. So Adam, you're going to read out some clues to us talking about a Forest player of your choosing. And in that game, we need to try and guess who you're talking about. Over to you, Adam. Okay. So, first clue. Um, I once scored a hat-trick in an FA Cup quarter-final. Rich. Nigel Jemson. No. No, no, no. I'm not that old. Um, I was once charged with misconduct by the FA and I admitted to the charge. I was fined £2,500. Stephen. Oh. Darius Henderson. 
No. No, no, no. Okay. Oh, Next guess. clue then. Um, I retired in the 1920 season at Tranmere Rovers. I know it's not, but Eugene Daddy would be a great answer here. <laughs> if he retired in nineteen in the two thousand and twenty, I'd be very surprised. He contributed and, as much after leaving Forest as he did when wearing a red shirt and scoring a hat trick. <laughs> come on, <Yeah>. come on! <laughs> Let's move on to the next clue then. Okay, I started my career at Manchester City. I thought that might be the one. Hmm. No, let, let's, let's, let's go on. I think we've got one more clue. Forrest paid £1.8 million for me from West Bromwich Albion. Tom, it wasn't Ishmael uh, Miller, was it? It was indeed. Hey! Wow. That was, a, that was a tough one, that was... Who did he score the hat trick against then? Uh, and who for? Uh, Bristol Rovers is who he scored it against. Right. Um, In the quarter final. Yeah, which was a strange one for me. I didn't have. I don't know how that came about, to be honest. But... <laughs> so, for any fans of Kermode and Mayo's film review, you're now hearing Adam do what Mark Kermo does, which is listen to a man look stuff up on Google. <laughs> uh, was he? Misconduct charge against um, when he had a go at the fans against Coventry. Yeah, the it was his Twitter charge. I didn't mention what it was for, only because I remember that happening. And I was like, OK, I feel like they all remember that happening. So I thought, I won't include what it was for. But yeah, it was for Twitter comments. Yeah. And, and, and in fairness, Ishmael did contribute marginally more in a red shirt than Eugene Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember he's, uh, he used to have a... Remember the um, Porsche Panameras, the four-door saloon things mm-hmm. and on the back you wouldn't do this to a car of that prestige and he's put ish you know there's like you can get the letters and mm-hmm. put them on your boot from like halfords and you put <laughs> ish on the back of it and i'm like why would you do that yeah just get a personalized number plates or something like that they just put ish on it right <laughs> <laughs> Is, a, is another vintage signing in another vintage era for the club, wasn't it? Yeah. And and that actually brings us to the end of this month's podcast. So I want to say uh, thank you to Stephen, to Adam and to Tom and also to Jeremy. Just as a reminder of our competition, if you can email us, forestramble at gmail.com by 6pm on Friday the 4th of March and tell us, according to the UK official charts company, what was the highest chart position reached by Just Can't Get Enough by Depeche Mode? We've got a six-pointer coming up against Sheffield United and then the FA Cup tie against Huddersfield. So we'll be back with match reports. I think we're the only Forest podcast who do reports after every single match. So subscribe to us. All the links are available at linktree slash underscore forest. And thank you very much for joining us this time. And we hope to see you again soon. Well, we need to end the discussion there because now, to you listener, you will be familiar with this next thing.
Sports Social Podcast Network.